All right, we're going to be continuing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 today. So you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. And while we're going through this, every week I'm not going to always read through um, these verses because it's really about 17 verses that kind of encapsulate the idea and, um, and concept of the coming of the Lord. And it can just be, it can turn repetitive. But I do encourage you, even in the, the life group book that we're going through, The Compelling Community, it talks about the importance and the uh, kind of some of the advantages of, of reading the text ahead of time on your own. So you can kind of soak in it a little bit, reflect upon it, and, and know where I'm kind of heading on some different things. So let's read First Thessalonians, starting in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, we do want to encourage one another with these words, that your son is coming back to claim his bride as his own, that the heavenly Jerusalem will come down and take place right here on earth, that you will rule victoriously over all of us, and we will submit willingly to your rule, to your power. Lord, help us to get other people into your kingdom while there's still time. Help us to feel the urgency of the moment and of the time. Lord, I thank you that there's pastors and, and teachers willing to come and, and speak at our conference, that there can be even a unity amongst pastors and churches and, and wanting to share pulpits and, and 
minister to people outside the congregation. So thank you for Pastor Laron, Pastor Braden, Rob Welch, Pastor Warman, for them uh, setting aside a Friday or a Saturday to come and speak your truth to us. Lord, I pray everyone here would be able to attend the Foundations Conference and that you would bless it, God. It would be a time of building up the saints truly. Lord, help us now as we uh, get into your word. We want to hear from you. So Spirit, uh, take my words and um, translate them to people's hearts and minds um, exactly as it needs to be, Lord. Let them receive it uh, in full clarity. Let them receive it in full truth. And let it uh, not just be something that um, they hear and forget about, uh, but let it be words uh, from you, Spirit, that transform them and they take with them, God. Thanks for the privilege of being here with the saints this morning. We love you. Amen. All right. I want to emphasize two things today to you. First is, uh, is this. As our biblical knowledge increases, our faith should increase. All right. As our biblical knowledge increases, our faith should increase. And here's, here, here it is kind of in a nutshell. As you grow in your faith, as you are learning about God, who he is, and really about who you are, your faith should be increasing. Now that is contrary to the current secular understanding of faith. True faith is not something that is made stronger by ignorance or by believing against the evidence. And sometimes I feel like, like telling the skeptics, uh, we're not a bunch of idiots, you know? Um, we don't believe in spite of the evidence. I mean, that doesn't even really make sense, all right? We believe in part because of the evidence. So saving faith is consistent with knowledge and true understanding of facts. Look at Romans chapter 10. Keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians because we're coming back there. It says, um, let's start in verse 13. Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's like the snapshot of the gospel right there, friends. One little verse. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And then it says this in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So when people have true information about Christ, they are better able to put their trust in him. If you just walked up to someone who had never heard anything about Jesus and was like, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. They'd be like, well, who is Jesus? Right? Um, Depending on what country, they might actually know someone named Jesus. So there could be confusion. Why? Because of a lack of information. So there has to be a basic level of information required when it comes to having a saving or a trusting faith in Christ. So the more we know about him and about the character of God, the more fully we're able to put our trust in him. I don't know about you, but I trust him more as I've gotten to know him better. 
Part of that is because I understand better who he really is, right? When I first got saved, like my faith and my knowledge, I mean, it was pretty basic and pretty limited. As I've studied, as I've grown, you know, it's gotten more, and I understand, like, how amazing and awesome and majestic he is, right? But part of that also is seeing that he's, he's been faithful to me time and time and time and time and time again. So I can trust him because I know he will continue to be faithful. So here's, here's, here's my, kind of my first point of many points I'll probably make today. Um, faith is not weakened by knowledge. We should never be concerned about learning biblical truth. And really, even in the broader sense, all truth is God's truth. So we should never think that if we learn, it's going to weaken our faith. That, that's one of the concerns sometimes you hear uh, when you go to seminary, you talk to different people who have been to seminary, you know, that the knowledge that they learn, the, the, the learning that they obtain is going to affect their passion or their desire. I mean, if that happens, that, that's unfortunate. It can happen, it does happen, but it shouldn't happen. Uh, what a privilege to be able to go and study under um, great teachers of the word and be instructed in such truths at such a deep level. That should strengthen a person's faith. It should help them grow even more. So faith is not weakened by knowledge. If anything, it should increase with true knowledge. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we study the Bible That's why we read other books that incorporate biblical thinking into its pages. That's why we attend things like the Foundations Conference. We want to inculcate biblical truth. We want to have that knowledge, that knowledge God uses to help us grow. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. A true story that an author and theologian tells about a seminary student, he heads back home to Kentucky uh, because school was on a break, and he visited, he decides to visit a local church, and the first words out of the pastor's mouth as he starts his sermon is, all religious beliefs are true. And the guy's, you know, the seminary student, just kind of like, oh man, what am I in for today? So, that's pretty much how the whole sermon went. So he's like, uh, I'm just going to like, you know, sneak out the back door, like once the service is over, you know, I just, this will be my last time here. He's trying to do that, but, but lo and behold, like, you know, the pastor's, you know, at the back door greeting everyone as they leave, and, and he's like, you know, hello, young man, where, where are you from? He's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm home on break from school. Oh, what school do you go to, you know? And he, he tells him the seminary. Oh, a seminary student. He's like, well, well you must have religious beliefs. He's like, well, yes, sir, I, I do. He's like, well, well, tell me about them. And he's like, um... I don't want to offend you, so I'd prefer not to tell you about my religious beliefs. And he's like, no, no, you're not going to offend me. Go ahead. And, you know, all religious beliefs are true. All religious beliefs are true. Go ahead and tell me your, your religious beliefs. And he's like, oh, all right, if you want me to. So he kind of he, he leans forward, and he gets real close to the pastor, and he, and he whispers in his ear, you are going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> And the pastor's like, well, that religious belief sure isn't true. (laughs) Funny how that changes, right? Real quick. So let me make a a caveat when it comes to knowledge. Knowledge alone doesn't save, okay? Let's make that clear. Um, You have to believe. You have to trust. You can have a whole lot of information, just like I did, 
for 18 years. Much, much information about the Word, about Jesus, about God, about the Father, about the Son, about the Spirit, all those things, about the stories in the Bible. You can believe that they're true. That doesn't save you. That doesn't save you. You have to have a trust in Christ for your salvation. I went to school, uh, my bachelor's degree at the University of Missouri-Columbia, most of you know it as Mizzou, and studied under people that had many, many initials after their name and were well-educated, apparently, in the Word of God. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't believe it. For some, it was just a literature book. For some, it was a quasi-historical book. But it definitely wasn't the Word of God, and they definitely didn't believe it, and they definitely hadn't trusted in Christ for that, their salvation. Much knowledge, but no trust. That equals no salvation. So we have to believe it. Uh, facts alone aren't enough. And one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm stressing this to you, I'm emphasizing this, is because it won't matter if you have all the facts right about Christ's return, when, where, how, who, what. If you're not numbered among the saints when he does return. I mean, think of that song, right? Oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints go marching. Hey, can I be in the worship team, all right? Some of you are like, no, please, okay. <laughs> you're fine right where you're at. <clears throat> but when the saints go marching in, and then what does it say? How I want to be in that number. I mean, you do, right? You want to be in that number. You want to be numbered among the saints. You know, songs like that have a lot of spiritual truth in them, actually. There's actually many more uh, verses to that that most people never even heard. But they're, they're pretty pro- powerful. Those are, like, they're, those are called black spirituals or African-American spirituals. And, you know, looking back on my uh, elementary school music teacher, she actually taught us these black spirituals. And we're, we're singing them, you know, for our parents at the, the choir rehearsals. And, uh, I mean, she was white and was instructing mostly white children with these black spirituals. I didn't even know it at the time, but I loved them. I loved them. I remember even as a kid, those songs resonating with me. I didn't even know they were filled with biblical truth at the time. I even remember being one time, I was, it was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary down at the Cheshire Inn, kind of close to the hill. Some of you might know it. And uh, my cousins and I, like, we were getting bored, you know, as, as young kids do. So we kind of snuck off to a, a different part of, 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 the, of the place where we really weren't supposed to be, to another party, basically. <laughs> we snuck into a different ballroom, and there's like this big band playing, and this lady was singing, and after she finished her song, um, she's like, does anyone have any requests? So I'm like, I'm like at the back, and I like, I like raise my hand. <laughs> and I'm like, how about uh, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? <clears throat> and she kind of like, you know, is kind of like shocked that, well, probably one, that I was there in the first place, but um, <laughs> two, that this 12-year-old like even knew this song. Um, but, I mean, she, she knew it, and she sang it. She knocked it out of the park. Uh, many biblical truths in those songs. Uh, let's make sure we're, we're, we're numbered with the saints. Let's make sure we are there on that day. Look back in 1 Thessalonians 4. I want you to notice something in verse 15. You can circle it or underline it if you want. Towards the end it says, uh, 
we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. You can circle that word coming or underline it or write it in your notes. It's the word parousia. Here's the thing. That term commonly meant the glorious coming of a deity or an official visit of a sovereign to a city like the emperor, who was seen as, as, as deity, right? And like <clears throat> it would be announced, like the coming of the emperor, this parousia, the coming, the coming, the coming. And there'd be great expectations and excitement. They'd, they'd set up even like a, they'd set up like a local temple, build one just for this to commemorate this occasion. There'd be donations. There'd be you know games and sacrifices, statues dedicated, arches and other buildings constructed. Even they'd even mint coins to commemorate this coming. So the mention of of, of Perusia or the coming, it would bring up these images of royalty of deity, of majesty. So this wasn't like Jesus just like swinging by for a little chat, okay? No, this was like the divine, powerful, all-knowing Son of God arriving. It's a big deal. Bigger than any emperor or king arriving to some city. This is Jesus himself, God incarnate, arriving for his bride. Think about that. But I want you to notice, and here's the sometimes unfortunate thing about our chapters and verses in the Bible. Those aren't inspired, by the way. In fact, um, the chapters came earlier than the verses, but it was like hundreds and hundreds. I think maybe the verses even a thousand years or something before they were put there. And sometimes um, there's not a rhyme or reason for why there's chapter divisions. Sometimes they, they put a chapter right in the middle of Paul's thought. So... Uh, a lot of times, you know, we have our Bible reading plan. It's like, oh, read First Thessalonians 4 today. Then tomorrow you read First Thessalonians 5. Well, you can miss the flow of thought because you stopped at 4. That's why the last few weeks we've been reading the last part of 4 and the first part of 5 because they actually go together. So that's important. But I want you to catch something in, in verse 2 of chapter 5 because he's still talking about the Lord returning, he says in verse 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So what happens? Well, it won't catch believers off guard, but it will catch unbelievers off guard. Why won't believers be caught off guard? Because they're prepared. Why will unbelievers be caught off guard? They're not prepared. But I want you to note one big thing. Will believers be present on the day of the Lord? The answer is yes. Look what he says. Verse 4, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, what's that day? Back from verse 2, the day of the Lord, for that day to surprise you. So they're there, but they're not going to be surprised. That's going to be important later when we, when we get into things, but I just want to mention it now so you can take note of it. But what's part of the emphasis in this passage? Last week we talked about being ready. Really this week my emphasis is to be urgent. Last week, the focus was really more on yourselves. You all each need to be prepared, me included, for Jesus coming back. 
You don't want to be caught off guard. But this week, there's an urgency to the gospel message that I think many of us lose and forget. We need to be urgent. You know, there was an urgency uh, with the Jesus movement in the 70s and even into the 80s. I've talked with some of you. We've even joked a little bit about it, about some of the different movies, that Christian movies that were made, some of the different Christian outreaches that people went to. But what was the strong emphasis? Like today, Jesus could come back. Are you ready for that? And friends, here's the thing that we're going to see. The scriptures put an emphasis on the urgency to make a decision for Jesus. And I think that that was one of the, the strong suits. We, we might kind of laugh and chuckle at some of the, the, the dorky videos that they came out with at the time. They thought they were all high-tech and everything. But the urgency was a fact that the biblical writers emphasized. We need to make sure we inculcate that as we're talking with people. If we're just very sometimes casual in our sharing of the gospel and very laid back and, oh, you know, you got time or if you want to decide that. No, there needs to be an urgency. I mean, how, how can you read this passage without, you know, hearing from Paul by the Spirit that, man, swift destruction, friends. It's coming. People need to be warned of that. And they, that needs to be emphasized to them that they, they need to make a decision for Jesus to avoid this sudden destruction. So the message is that we need to be ready and we need to urge others to be ready. You know, I coach my, uh, my daughter's uh, basketball team. It's a 13 and 14 and 12-year-olds. And as I was getting ready for practice a few weeks ago, um, the Lord kind of, I, I felt like, impressed upon me, like, remember why you're doing this. Mike, remember why you're doing this. Your, 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 your ultimate aim is not to teach girls basketball skills and to try to win a game or something like that. Like you're doing this because you want to see them come to Christ and, and grow in Christ. So make sure that those girls see that emphasized in, in however you're setting up things. So <clears throat> this past week, I, I just took them aside for... Uh, for like five minutes and just shared. Now, many of you probably don't know, but there was a horrible uh, motorcycle accident um, Tuesday this past week. And um, it was actually a hit and run on the highway. They shut down eastbound for like an hour, hour and a half. Not a single car got through right outside on this highway, right out in front of the church. Um, and a, a red truck clipped a motorcycle, flipped him over. Another car hit the motorcycle. Um, the guy died at the scene. They still haven't even found the, the, the driver of the truck who started the accident. But I kind of emphasized and shared that. I was sharing that with my team, not to you know, freak them out, but to emphasize, like, friends, we don't know what day might be our last day. We don't know. And you know how many people died in the U.S. in 2019? 2,394,871. That's a lot of people. That very likely does not include abortions. So the number is even higher. But if you do the math on that, that's 6,561 each day in the U.S. That's 6,561 that no longer have a chance 
to hear the gospel. 6,561 that no longer have a chance to repent. 6,561 whose eternal destiny is fixed and can't be changed. And 6,561, how many opportunities did that 6,561 get? I don't know. I'm sure they had opportunities. But, but let's just be real. People are dying. So there's an urgency to the gospel message. The first, I'd say, point is that judgment is coming. We see it here in this passage. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden destruction. Look at Malachi. I was reading there uh, just yesterday. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, we always we read that, and we're like, oh, that's John the Baptist, right? Well, that's true, right? We think gospels. Oh, John the Baptist, prepare the way, right? But let's read on. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So that's what John the Baptist did, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. <clears throat> but look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Now, this isn't talking about the birth of Christ. They didn't realize there was really two separate events, his initial coming and his return. It's talking about his second coming. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Well, why is that? Because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. That was the message that the Israelites need to hear. Judgment is coming when the day that the Lord returns. And over and over, the prophets, what, what are they prophesying? The Lord's returning, and you better be ready. The Lord is returning, and it's not going to be pretty for you, Israel. It's not going to be pretty. Guess what? There's people that, that go to church, and it's not going to be pretty for them the day the Lord returns because they, they, they proclaim Christ, but, but they don't know Christ. So first, judgment is coming. There needs to be a sense of urgency because of that. I don't know about you, but I want my unbelieving friends, family, neighbor to avoid the worst judgment that is coming possible for them. So I need to warn them. Second, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Look at James chapter 4. Verse 13, James 4. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So life is brief. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow, today, could be our last day. For 6,561 people, today is their last day. For 6,561 people, tomorrow is their last day. For 6,561 people, Tuesday is their last day. And on and on and on. Someday, you'll be a part of that 6,561. You need to be ready. Third, 
Hell is forever. Hell is forever. Look at Matthew 25. Matthew 24 and 25 are all about the end times. You can read them and will help you actually prepare in understanding better the return of Jesus. Even at the beginning of Matthew 25, that's the parable of the ten virgins. Then we have the parable of the talents. And then we have uh, the final judgment starting in verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. And then it goes on and it, it talks about this section emphasizes basically living out your faith. You're going to say, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. And he's like, no, you, you, I was hungry and thirsty and, and naked and, and, and you didn't do anything about it. Well, what are you talking about? Well, as you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. So then look what it says. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Now those two words eternal there, it's the same word in Greek. Just like English. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Okay? However long the eternal life is, guess what? The eternal punishment is. So if you think you have eternal life with Jesus and will live with him for an eternity in heaven, which is what I believe, um, guess what? Then you believe that there's an eternal punishment for those who do not believe that will last forever in hell. So they're, they're, The two are compared and contrasted there. This, this isn't like you bought the wrong toothpaste and you just need to put up until you get to the end of the tube and you can get a new, new tube of toothpaste. This is... This isn't just some bad decision that over time or with money you can fix. You just kind of suffer through it for a bit. This is a decision that you make and lasts forever. An eternal decision. Hell is forever. And we see numerous times the Bible emphasizing how today is the day we need to choose to serve the Lord. Even back in the Old Testament, look at Joshua chapter 24. Verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, and then notice what he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So choose. Choose today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. 
So he's quoting the Old Testament. And then, and then this is what Paul says. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. I like how the King James put it. Today is the day of salvation. And look what, he, look what he goes on to say. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. So anything that, that might hinder people because today is the day of salvation, we're, we're clearing it out of the way. If we got something that's tripping us up, we're going to clear it out of the way. If we, if we need to pray for boldness, then we're going to do that so that we don't put an obstacle in anyone's way to hear the message of the truth of the gospel. Paul's saying, we're going to do what we need to do as servants of Christ to make sure the message goes forth. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And I, I just want to say to us here today, that very word, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Receive the word of Christ. Let it be planted in your heart and trust in him for faith. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Friends, they, the, the Israelites, they, they saw the works, and yet they didn't believe. They didn't believe. It, it's possible to grow up in, in an amazing biblical church, to have your children grow up and see God do amazing things, and they can still harden their hearts. And the same is true for you and me. We can harden our hearts. God can be doing amazing stuff. It's crazy to me sometimes. God can be doing just amazing stuff. And then people come and, and, and it's like they're blinded to the amazing stuff God's doing in their midst. Why? They have a hard heart. They have a hard heart. So don't harden your hearts. If you've hardened your hearts, repent of that. Repent of it. Repent of the hardness of your hearts and cry out to the Lord for him to soften it. Friends, let's, let's, let's truly believe and have hope that God can and will save people. Let, let's believe what his word says, that salvation will come to people, that, that people will get saved. You know, God saves all sorts of people. You know, the fact that some of you are in here, and I'm, I'm not even joking, I mean, that's a testimony that God works some miracles. Seriously. And, I mean, God saves all sorts of people. I mean, he saves murderers, thieves, adulterers. Heaven's halls will be filled with some of the most vile sinners, including some of you. Why? Because they have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. The blood of Jesus covers their sins. They came to a point so that, yes, they were vile and they repented. And Christ cleansed them. But think about even Paul. I mean, he was a murderer, among many other things. King David, adulterer, murderer. Moses, murderer. Jacob, big-time thief. And yet God saved each one of them. So let's 
Let's be faithful. Let's be urgent with our gospel sharing. Let's be faithful with our gospel sharing. Like, I think sometimes we expect instant results. I don't know about you. Some of you, I care about my lawn. I don't know why, but I just like my lawn to look nice, okay? I know some of you don't. I've, I've seen your lawns. <clears throat> if you want some help, call me up, okay? <clears throat> By the way, spring is the perfect time to, to, no, it's not really. Fall is the perfect time to plant grass seed, but that's probably some of your problems, by the way. Um, but some of you, <clears throat> like you plant grass seed, right? Now, I don't know about you, but like I plant my grass seed, especially if it's like a bare spot, you know, and you like one week later, there's no grass. I mean, you're kind of like waiting expectantly, right? At least I am. <clears throat> and then two weeks later, you go out there and there's like the, just these like little tiny like sprouts shooting through, right? Just two weeks. But you wouldn't look at that lawn two weeks later and be like, oh man, look at that luscious green lawn everywhere. No. Why? Because it takes time. The seeds take time to grow, to nourish, to flourish. It takes time. You have to keep, we have to keep planting, right? We're the seed scatterer. We're, we're scattering that seed. And sometimes we're, like, we're just one week later in the analogy, we're like, why isn't it growing? I don't see nothing. God causes the growth. That's what Corinthians says. God causes the growth. All right? And some of you are trying to, you're trying to cause the growth. Let God cause the growth. Trust God for that. We're supposed to scatter the seed. We're supposed to water the seed. But God causes the growth. So let him grow it. And let's trust him that he will grow it. And I just want to make, this is almost like a, we're going to have a time of prayer, by the way, at the end. I just want to prepare your hearts for that, um, because maybe you need some prayer. But I, I was running the other day, and I was kind of thinking about some different temptations that, that had plagued me recently. And I was like, man, why, why, I was kind of having this conversation with myself. I don't know if you ever do that um, with yourself. But I was like, you know, why make the sacrifice? Like, why make the sacrifice? Like, why deny yourself this pleasure? Or why add this extra burden over here of the right thing to do? Why deny yourself that thing desired? And, and here was the answer. Because it glorifies God. It glorifies God. When you don't do something that is sinful, when you don't do it, when you say, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not, I'm not, my flesh might want to do that thing, but I'm, I'm not going to do it, and you deny yourself? Friends, that glorifies God. Because what does the Scriptures talk about? What, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of the Lord, right? So when, when you're saying no to sin, you're really saying yes to Jesus as a believer. That glorifies Him. And when you do something that you know is the right thing to do, even though you don't want to do it, and you're like, well, my emotions are like, no, but like my will is stronger than my emotions. Okay? My volition is stronger than my emotions. So I really don't want to do that thing, but I know it's the right thing. And, and then you do it because you know it's the right thing. That, that glorifies God. That glorifies God. And friends, your, your volition is stronger than your emotion. And your emotions, I mean, they can be all over the place. You know? Like one, I mean, I always think like, Sometimes I, I feel like either like Elijah in the Old Testament, like that big old battle at Mount Carmel, 
And then if it, it seems like 30 minutes later, he's like tucking his tail and running. Like top of the mountain to bottom of the valley. Or even, even Jonah. And he, he goes and he's, he's preaching to Nineveh, right? Basically like a, a revival breaks out in this giant city. And then boom, it's like he falls into this major depression. And he's all bummed out. Like emotion, our emotions can be all over the place. Even the great saints of old, friends. So you're in good company if you feel like your emotions are all over the place. But that's why you don't want to trust those emotions. Okay? That's why your, your volition, you can, you can will yourself to do things, you can will yourself to not do things. Not saying that it might not be a struggle. It might not seem you can get wrapped up in bondage to sin. But the will is stronger than the emotions. When you deny yourself that which you want, which is carnal, that glorifies God. And when you do what, God, what you know God wants you to do, when you don't want to do it, when you don't feel like doing it, that glorifies God. But sometimes, sometimes we, we just believe Satan's lies. You know, and we look at other, how can this person over here, like, they're getting away, they're getting away with, like, murder, they're getting to do this thing and that thing, and there doesn't seem to be any consequence. Friends, there's a consequence for sinning. We might not ever see it clearly in other people's lives. We might not even think we see it clearly in our own lives, but there is a consequence. It affects us big time, majorly. There's definitely a consequence in heaven. It affects the kingdom. How you live affects the kingdom of God. It affects the furtherment of the gospel. If you're going to tell me you can live however you want and the kingdom is just going to advance along, God calls us to advance the kingdom. He calls us to advance the kingdom. So yes, we can be used by God to further that kingdom, and we can be used by Satan to hinder the kingdom. So let's be used by God to further it. And in a moment, I'm going to invite anyone who wants prayer to come down, and the pastors can pray for you. Um, We had our life group on Friday, we had an awesome time, uh, good, some good discussions. Um, but we had just finished dinner at our life group. And I, I don't know what it was, but like, I guess it was because I hadn't eaten much that day. But like, all the blood must have rushed to my stomach. Because all of a sudden, I was like exhausted and tired and ready to go to bed. And we hadn't even started our, our discussion time. <laughs> and so I'm filling up my cup with water uh, at the refrigerator. And the Lord impressed upon me this. You need these people. You need these people. Because, friends, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Okay? We, we need each other. We need one another. Whether that is in life group, whether that's here, but we need one another. And, and one of the areas we need each other is... is is with prayer. We need to be willing to... We had, we had a good time of prayer at our group, and we had some good prayer requests. And here's the thing. I mean, we don't invite people down. We probably need to do it more. I don't know. But, you know, if someone comes down for prayer, it doesn't mean like their world is coming to an end. Right? Um, and you don't need to put it like on Facebook for everyone to see or something like that. I know you don't. But my point is, you know, it shouldn't be a shocking thing that... People need and people want prayer. Yes. I mean, we should rejoice yes. that people want that. Yes. I remember years ago, I came down for prayer, and I was, I was heavily burdened, and I, I, w- I was just sitting in the front row. 
Um, and someone, you know, just placed their hand, like on, on my shoulder from behind me. They just placed their hand. And it was like the Lord was saying to me at that time, like, hey, I'm with you. I've got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it. And, that, you know, I don't even know who that person, I don't even know who it was. My eyes were just closed the whole time. And they, they never even prayed. But it was like, you know, the Lord spoke through that simple act of them putting their hand on my shoulder. And it was, it was immensely uh, powerful and helpful to me um, as the Lord spoke to me through that. So, um, if I wouldn't have come forward, I would have missed out. I would have continued to carry that burden for who knows how long. But I would have been carrying it at least past that night and probably for quite a bit more. The Lord calls us to do what? With burdens. Shoulder one another's burdens, right? Galatians. Shoulder one another's burdens. Y'all are either like majorly convicted or totally zoned out because I hadn't heard an amen in a while, right? <clears throat> I'm going to go with the former. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Like when we're asking for prayer, like humble yourself to come down if you need it. All right, just humble you. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Like, humble yourself to do that. Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, I feel like the Lord honors that. And especially us guys, maybe the ladies, but especially us guys, you know, we're all like, oh, I can do this on my own, and I can handle this, and, uh, you know, and, and then we kind of feed ourselves lies. Like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't want to trouble anyone with this. Well, no, that's really just like, I don't want to expose myself and humble myself by asking for prayer. Okay? So, if we need it, or if we want it, then let's be willing to come forward and, and ask for it. Are you all hearing me? Friends, more kingdoms have been conquered through prayer than with swords or guns. Think about that. So we can do some seriously good damage to the kingdom of Satan through our prayers. And we can build up the saints and minister to one another through our prayers. So I encourage you, if you'd like some prayer, once I start praying, if you'd like prayer, you can, you can come, over, come over here and, and Justice and I uh, can, pray, can pray for you. We can pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you'd give us an urgency regarding the gospel, first for ourselves and then for others. Today is the day of salvation. Let us hear that clearly from you. Let us hear it from you, God. And Lord, whoever might be here today who doesn't know you, let them hear these words and respond in faith to you, Lord. Let them trust for the first time. And for the rest of us, Father, minister to us now, I ask. Let us receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit, 
to work on our hearts, to mend what is broken, to convict where is needed, to bind up what is broken, and soften our hearts, Father, if they are hard. Wherever they might be hard to you, to your kingdom work, to our spouse, to our children. Soften our heart, Father, we ask. And give us a spirit of repentance. Wash over us with that spirit. And let us repent.